And as we look at the first nine verses here in chapter 1 tonight, probably one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture is found here in these verses. And I know that sometimes we get discouraged when we see the world, but I can tell you this, if the Lord is with you, uh, you have all you need. And we have all you need. And I, I know for me personally, I've been kind of going through one of those times where, you know, Lord, what are you doing? You know, how is it that that's working out? Not quite sure exactly what your plans are here. And so as I was studying, definitely a huge encouragement to me. Uh, Joshua was about to fill some really huge shoes, amen? Uh, he, he's getting ready to take over for Moses. Not a, not a desirable task. And I would say to you that sometimes when you're looking from the outside in, when you're occupying maybe a, a pew, a seat somewhere in a church, and you're looking at what's going on in the lives of maybe some leadership, there, there's a point in time, and I remember having these in my own life, it's like, well, you know, I think I could do that. I'm pretty sure I could take over for that person. I've even had dreams about, you know, things like that, to where it's just like, and then all of a sudden the opportunity comes up and your knees start to knock and your fingers start to shake and your brow starts to sweat and all of a sudden you realize the gravity of what is happening and, and you feel very, very, very insufficient. And at times you don't feel up to the task. I can tell you that as a, as a pastor. It doesn't mean that God isn't good. doesn't mean he's not sufficient. doesn't mean he hasn't called. But there are times as human beings that we wonder you know exactly what it is that God is doing. And, and we do at times come face to face with our own insufficiencies. Amen? I mean, you guys don't, but I do. I come face to face with my own insufficiencies uh, periodically. I see exactly how far I still have yet to go. And I've been in ministry a long time, uh, a couple, two and a half decades. And, and I look sometimes and I go, Lord, man, I, I, do I still have to learn that lesson? Do I still have to go there? And his answer is, uh-huh. yes, it's essential. And I think as Joshua looked at the task before him, and most importantly, the people before him, uh, they were not exactly the most wonderful group of people to lead. They were kind of prone to doing their own thing. Amen? Moses sure experienced that, didn't he? <laughs> when he went up on the mountain, what did the people do? He's not gone 15 minutes, and they're down making golden calves. You know, they're, they're prone. We are prone. People are prone. The body of Christ is prone at times to not hear from the Lord and to do Whatever we choose to, to see fit. And interestingly enough, uh, after this book, as most of you know, is the book of Judges. And so here we have the story of this amazing leader. And right after it, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Amen. So we're prone to do that. And so tonight, what a leader. Here we have Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. And would you pray with me? Father, thank you. For your word. Thank you for the truth uh, that abounds in it, God. It is truth. And as we take it in, Lord, we have an opportunity to grow and to expand our lives spiritually uh, as you speak that truth into us. And Lord, we pray that we'd retain it and then use it for your kingdom, for your glory. 
And so, Lord, bless us, anoint us, prosper us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And then after the death of Moses, it says there in verse 1, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. And so he gets an audible message. Uh, do we know whether that was an audible voice or whether it was spoken into his heart or his mind? Uh, we're not sure, but it appears that it could likely be that he was literally spoken to by God. And whether that's an audible voice or an inaudible voice speaking to the Spirit, the result's the same. Uh, when God speaks, uh, he means what he says. And when God speaks, he's 100% accurate. And when God speaks, he makes absolutely no mistakes. When God speaks, he calls whom he calls. And so Joshua is going to be called by the Lord personally and privately. And Moses' assistant is who he really was. Uh, so he'd been in ministry for a while, if you will. He had understood some of the pitfalls, the pratfalls. He'd been alongside of this great servant of the Lord, and he himself had, in fact, learned how to serve underneath Moses' leadership. And so there's a direct connection between Joshua and Moses. And I want to draw your attention to something here. That's the path for almost all. Very few people live their ministry lives uh, in a vacuum, uh, unaffected by the lives of others. Most people in ministry have grown up underneath the leadership of someone else, usually. And in fact, very frequently and often, uh, that person who is what we would call a mentor to us uh, provides that essential uh, initial uh, guidance in ministry. And it was true for Joshua. But I would now draw your attention to something that is equally important. No one ever takes the place of anyone else in God's economy. God simply raises up a new leader to do what God wants him to do. And, and I think one of the great problems uh, in ministry is when people attempt to replicate too closely somebody else. Because I, I was not born Pastor Chuck Smith. I spent uh, two-plus decades on his staff. I answered to him personally. Uh, I, I know what it's like to grow up underneath a, a tremendous teacher of the Word. But I am not Chuck, and he was not me. Though I am grateful for the things that he accomplished in my life, in a, in a sense, uh, growing me up in ministry, uh, I never want to attempt to replace him. And, frankly, he could not replace me. We are different. doesn't make anyone lesser or greater. It means when God calls, God equips, and God equips the servant for the work that he has called us to. And so be careful, because I can tell you this, and now the funny part. I have listened to a whole bunch of Chuck's sermons delivered by people that weren't Chuck. Almost word for word. And they carried no power. They carried no work of the Spirit. Frankly, they were an abysmal failure because someone was trying to replicate Chuck all the way down to the pauses in his voice. All the way down to, well, you know. <laughs> and it's true for great men of all shapes and sizes. 
People try and emulate. But it's not what God intends. God can make rocks talk. And so if he's called you, you can simply be you. Whatever that is. And let the Lord fill you with the Spirit. At times, as I think on my own ministry, uh, it can be a daunting task. You know, you, you do compare yourself to other people. And I'm sure in this case, Joshua was likely not only comparing himself to Moses, but others were comparing him to Moses. And I can tell you that that also is a pitfall. Because when you begin to compare to people as opposed to the quality and the character of Christ, you're going to come up short every single time. We, we want to see people used in the fullness of God's gifting in their lives, not necessarily to be exactly like some great saint. And so those insufficiencies, I believe, are quite helpful. I believe also that they're very useful to the Lord because they keep us dependent. And so I know that Joshua was in that place. And if you remember last time, as I showed you the city uh, of Dan, uh, still an archaeological wonder to this day. If you travel to Israel, to the northern uh, part of Israel, to the base of the Golan Heights, and you, you visit Tel Dan, uh, I can't even imagine what that would have been like for this ragtag band, this group of you know Hebrew hobos, uh, to come from the, the wilderness of sin, the great Sinai Desert, to wander across that area of the world that is today uh, modern Jordan on the eastern shore of the Jordan River, completely desert. There isn't a thing out there. There's, there's absolutely zip, zero, nada. Uh, you, go, you can go all the way down to the Red Sea, and you'll find nothing but rocks and scorpions and serpents. And so they had just traveled across that. They hadn't had time to collect a great deal of uh, weapons of war. They'd built no great siege machines. They hadn't accomplished much in the way of, of battle. They had quite a few people, so they had human resources. But when they got into the land of Canaan, they were greeted with walled cities, well-fortified walled cities, and people with weapons that knew how to use them. And so it was a daunting task. What laid before them was something that upon looking at what they were about to undertake, they would have, like you at times, thinking about, you know, how am I going to get through this financial situation in my life? How am I going to get through this brokenness in my marriage? How am I going to ever get back to that place to where I can walk with the Lord? I've traveled down too many dirt roads and I've gone places I shouldn't go. The, the vantage point is the same. We run across things in our lives that when we look at them at first glance, we are struck with fear at the immensity of the task that lies before us. And it is the encouragement of this chapter that gives you God's view. It is the Lord encouraging his servant, Joshua, look, I can use you, I can use Moses, I can use whomever I call and I am your sufficiency. Not you. It's me. God had judged Joshua worthy. And, and as you look at this chapter, you're going to see this incredible encouragement. And I want to show it to you here in these first couple of verses. Notice the commission. And so 
the Lord spoke to him. He's remember who he is. Remember what's going on here. Basically, all of the people who had been a failure in the wilderness by this time had perished. He's leading a new group of people for all intents and purposes. Only Joshua and Caleb remain. And so they're probably a handful of older folks. But by and large, it was a fresh start. And so God was going to do a new work. And so God doesn't need to carry on those things that have been wonderful in the past. There's no question about the wonders that Moses accomplished with the Jews in the wilderness. He accomplished great things. The fact that they even survived uh, was due to his trust and his intercession. He trusted God and he interceded before God for the people. And so there's no question he was great. He was, he was wonderful. He was amazing. But it was a new time. And I can tell you what happens when you reach that place and it's a new time. People don't like change. People get very set in their ways. If I were to come in here some Saturday night and put the pulpit over there in the chair, you guys would freak out. You'd walk in and think you're in the wrong church. People don't like change. It's like the chairs went the other way. They're supposed to go the other way. I don't even know where to sit now. I'm lost. We changed coffee manufacturer stuff, equipment, a couple of three weeks ago. It was kind of interesting watching you all figure out how to use it. This isn't the same. Does it go forward or backward? I actually watch people. I don't know what's going on. We don't like change. And I can tell you what happens as you get a little older. You really don't like change. You sit around and you talk about the good old days. You know, you still envision yourself being able to throw that football. You thought it was 85 yards. It's actually 85 feet, but it, 85, it's got 85 in it. And we, we think about the past and often, often, we wrongly revere the past. We put the past on a pedestal, if you will. And I would just tell you that I don't believe that we as leaders should. Uh, I, we, Practically speaking, we don't. I don't think we should lead forever. I think there is a season and a time for leadership that is viable and vibrant. And when we go past that, and my case study to you is the entire Old Testament, uh, whenever you looked at the kings of Israel, when they governed for too long a period of time, they invariably ended up in a place that they shouldn't be. Because you get too set in your ways. You get relying on yesterday's manna. There's no vision, and because of the lack of vision, people perish. And so, don't be afraid of change. And frankly, worshiping men is a sin. No matter how great they are, worship belongs to Jehovah God and to no one else. Not me, not Billy Graham, uh, not Pastor Chuck, not Dwight Moody, none of these great, great, great men who God has used mightily, whose legacies are sealed forever, 
in the annals of Christendom, as great as they may be, do not worship men, because men fail. If you keep your eyes on the Lord, you will be all right at any point in time. By keeping your eyes on men, you will be disappointed. Notice I didn't say you might. You will be disappointed. You'll be disappointed in me and every other person that has ever walked this earth. And so there is a picture here for us. There's a new generation, a new leadership. There's new people. The old is past. And now God is going to pour some new wine into a new wineskin. And it's a wonderful thing. We shouldn't be afraid of that. And we shouldn't bemoan uh, the status quo. And when we start to worship men and not God, I think we sell ourselves short of what the Lord really wants to do. You know, I've prayed with some really godly guys. I've sat in meetings with some some folks that you just go, wow, you actually got, yeah, I got to sit down and pray with those men. But I can tell you this, not one of them ever told me to pray to them. They all said, let's, let's ask the Lord for his blessing upon this, this venture. Let's ask the Lord for his wisdom and what it is that we will do. And very often, uh, you can be persecuted for even suggesting that perhaps Pastor Chuck may have not been right. Charles Swindoll may have actually made an error. Perhaps that wasn't from the Lord at all. That is a dangerous thing to hear. And I want to strongly encourage you that as wonderful as these men are, and I am indebted forever to my pastor Chuck for his input into my life and for the growth that happened in me under him, uh, I can tell you without question, not only would he tell you the same thing, but I can tell you emphatically Not everything he ever said was exactly correct. Not everything he ever did was perfectly right. And so because of that, I have seen people go like this in ministry because they were not following God. They were following a man. Follow God and you're not going to be misled. And that may mean at times you're going to come into a disagreement with somebody who might be a really godly guy. That's okay. And you're going to see why as we play out the rest of these verses tonight. J. Oswald Sanders wrote a work that's originated by God and conducted on spiritual principles will surmount the shock of change of leadership and indeed will probably thrive better as a result. Lord Tennyson, as he was writing about King Arthur, put it this way. He said, For now I see the true, the old times are dead. For the old order changes, yielding a place to a new, and God fills himself in many ways, lest one good custom should corrupt an entire world. Sometimes we can just do what we do because it's the way we've always done it. Don't be afraid of change. As much as it's painful at times, sometimes it's the very best thing for the future. That is the picture that we have here. 
A wise leader doesn't completely abandon the things of the past. Neither shall those of us who call ourselves Calvary Chapel. But I can tell you this. There are things we can do better. There are things we can do different. And if we're hearing from the Lord, God will lead in those ways. Because we really follow Him. I am a Christ follower. Amen? You're a Christian. You're not a Chuckshin. You're not a Calvary Chapelshin. You're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. You're a Christ believer. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by the Calvary Chapel distinctives. And I am not bashing Calvary Chapel in any way, shape, or form. I'm using by example the very ministry that I love. Because it's the most pertinent to me. To us. Our identity to a large degree is that. But in the greatest degree, it's in Christ. And so if maybe we allow babies in the sanctuary, I can tell you right now, that's a cardinal sin in a lot of Calvary chapels. Matter of fact, you can get thrown out of church for that. Isn't going to happen here. Why? Because Pastor Jeff heard from God and said, you know what, for us, I can't find a scripture that supports that. Frankly, I think it's unbiblical. But it is something that most Calvary's do. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to do what God says, not what man says. That's who we follow. And that is the picture here. However, Moses is mentioned some 57 times in the book of Joshua. So it doesn't mean everything Moses did was wrong. And in fact, there was a lot to be emulated. And that is where I again turn to the analogy of us. A vast majority. I wouldn't be anything else but a Calvary Chapel pastor. Uh, I'm elated to be a Calvary Chapel pastor and to be associated. But let's follow Jesus. Amen? You see, there was continuity from one leader to the next, but there wasn't conformity, and that's important. There was continuity. There was a carrying on of the things that ought to be very, very visible, like attention to the Word of God. Amen? Reliance on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Praise and worship that is as good as it can possibly be. Amen? You get the picture? There is continuity, but not conformity. Not that simple replication that says, here's the cookie cutter and let's cut this out and everything needs to be like this. That is a bane. And that's the problem with denominational churches today. They very often don't get their leading from God. They get their leading from a group of men who haven't heard from God. So when the church leadership says, well, we no longer believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, then they abandon the word of God for what man has said. And that's how they get in trouble. Tremendous picture for us here. Joshua was called Moses' minister here, Moses' servant. And I can tell you this, you can't lead unless you first learn to follow. It is an impossibility. If you cannot be a good follower, if you can't be a good servant, you will never be a good leader, ever. Because the greatest capacity in the human sense that a leader must have 
is to understand what it means to follow. You see, I can't take you someplace that I myself haven't gone. I can't teach you something that I myself don't know. I may be able to speak it to you, but I can't teach it in that instructive way that it becomes something that is of my life to you. And so, by default, all leaders must first be servants. And that, I can tell you, my pastor Chuck did well. He served. And so God commissions Joshua to really achieve three things. We're going to look at them here uh, one at a time because they're very important and important to the context of what follows in the entire book. And so verse 3, it says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. So he begins this set of promises from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river to the river Euphrates. And so he's saying all the way from modern day Lebanon, which would at the time would have been the land of the Phoenicians, all the way from modern day Lebanon, Tyre, Sidon, all the way down to Egypt to the river Nile to the mouth of it where Alexandria, the great library, laid, all the way to the middle of modern day Iraq. That's your land. It's yours. So when people argue about where Israel ought to go, from God's perspective, what he wrote 3,000 years ago was pretty much the whole Middle East. He says, sure, I'm giving it to you. It's my land. I'm going to let you have it. And so he says to the great river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, that would be the Mediterranean, towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And no man shall be able to stand before you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God is a covenant-keeping God. And he is not slack concerning his promises. Amen? He keeps them, period. Not because of any other thing than he is truth. He has no capacity to tell you one thing and do another. He's absolutely truthful. And so if God makes a promise, God is bound by himself because he can swear by no one greater to keep it. And so three things. Joshua's going to cross the river, and the first thing is God promised Joshua that Israel would enter the land. Now remember when you were looking last week at Tel Dan? Jericho was bigger. They had already been defeated at Kadesh Barnea. They understood tremendous defeat. They knew what it was like to lose, in other words. And sometimes when you've lost... For those of you that played team sports, there's a psychological thing that happens when you have played a team that you've already lost to and you're going to play them again. In the back of your mind, it's like they've already beaten us. There's a little bit of a defeatist mentality that can come with that type of a vision. And I believe the Jewish people did not have a whole lot of confidence 
in anyone or anything, including God. Because as far as they were concerned, they were God's people. And I think sometimes we, like them, think that God let us down. Well, we got beat. How did that happen? I mean, after all, I went to church twice last month. I even prayed this week. I read my daily bread twice in one day. And then all of a sudden something happens and you're tempted to think, man, there's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. And yet God is saying to you, go in and possess what I have given you. Go take it. It's yours. I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. Go take the land. When God tells you to do something... Little secret to walking in a victorious Christian life, do it. Do it. He says it, do it. And of course, chief amongst those things that we could list would be all that his word contains. You see the reputation that they had from Kadesh Barnea, which you can read about in Numbers chapter 13, was one of fear. And God says, you're not going to live that way anymore. We're a new creation in Christ. Amen? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Amen? you got to remember that. Otherwise, you walk in past defeat instead of present victory. I don't know about you, but I don't take to defeat very kindly. I hate defeat. I am a rotten loser. And I mean, I'm bad at losing. I hate losing. And so when I lose, I have two responses to that. The Eeyore response, woe is me. And uh, I'm going to get even. God wants us to push forward. He doesn't want us bound by our past. People that dwell in the past and live in the past never go Anywhere. They're too busy worrying about what happened in the past to even concern themselves with the glories of what God has promised for the future. And so the first thing is, God had promised them that they would enter the land. And you're either going forward or you're standing still. And if you are standing still, by default, you're going backwards. Because you can't go anywhere unless you're going forwards. Amen? Even standing still is going backwards. We need to move on. A second thing, God promised Joshua victory over the enemy. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that in your own life? Because God has promised you victory over sin. God has promised you victory over death. God has promised you eternal life on top of that victory. God has made you precious promises, and they are victoriously over and above anything the enemy can throw at you. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen? You get the picture? How much of the church walks in defeat because they refuse to claim the promises of God? 
God says it, we need to seize it. If God says it, I can believe it. I can rest in it. I can trust in it. That doesn't mean that we don't have days to where we stub our toes. doesn't mean that we don't bang our elbows every once in a while. But it means that the Lord himself is responsible for making sure that his promises are true and yes and amen to his church. Was to the Jewish people. And he'd given them a victory over the enemy. And in fact, they had seen those victories. They had seen them play out over time. Israel obeyed the Lord, and he promised to help them defeat these nations. And you're going to see that as we get to the end of this book. Unfortunately, as you look at the lives of the Jews, they very often took one victory, and they tried to piggyback on the old victory. And instead of seeking newness in the things of the Lord, they said, well, you know, we don't have to prepare. We don't need to do anything. We're just going to go. And so they were too heavily leaning on the things of the past. And instead of using them instructively, they were using them figuratively and purposefully. Well, you know, we defeated the guys at Jericho. I mean, come on, AI. No big deal. And so they did not prepare. They did not pray. What a promise God gives to Joshua here. He says, as I was with Moses, would you like to have been in the position Think about it spiritually. Would you like to have had God pass by in, in the cleft of the rock? I would. I'd like to be that close to God. Would you like to see the Lord intercede in such a way that his audible voice was, was heard to the people? Would you like to be such an intercessor that the literal hand of judgment of God was stayed by the prayers of one man, Moses? I'd like to have that kind of life. And basically, Joshua is being given a promise here. As I was with Moses, so I will sh- shall be with you. And by the way, you've been promised the very same thing. We've, we've sung that song. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Romans 8, verse 31. You guys know the verse. No weapon fashioned against you can prosper. Remember what was said to Mary? With God, how many things are impossible? Nothing is impossible with God, and all things are possible with Him. That's a pretty good combo, don't you think? Nothing is impossible, and all things are possible. Pretty much covers the spectrum, doesn't it? So whether it looks like an impossibility to you or a possibility to you, God's got it covered. Those are His promises. It's for us today. And we've seen God deliver time and time and time again. We witnesses, you're sitting in one of those victories right now, this building. There's no way we should own this building. Should have never happened. But God made it happen. And by the way, First Chronicles in chapter twenty eight, verse twenty, there you remember the whole concept of David speaking to his son Solomon about the temple, and David's not going to be able to build it, and Solomon is going to build the temple, and he says to him, He says, Look, be strong, be of good courage, for the Lord My God is with you wherever you go, so do not be afraid and do not fear. Those are positive views of the promises of God. And we need to have positive views of the promises of God. God is not an unwilling promise keeper. Sometimes we we think about God like he's kind of stingy with the promises. It's like, well, you know, maybe he'll give me one. He's made you hundreds of them in his word. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. He who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. If you walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, you get the deal? He's promised you these things by attending to His Word, doing what He says. You see, the secret to blessings is obedience. If you want God's blessings, do what He says. If you want to get what you can get, do what you think. Two totally different positions, by the way. Sometimes you think the way God thinks, and sometimes you don't, and so do I. We want what God wants. We must attend unto the things of the Lord if we want the promises of God to be real in our lives. And a third thing, that he would divide the land as an inheritance for the conquering tribes. You see, it was up to God to make good on these promises. One of the great secrets of spiritual life is to remember who makes the promises And if you remember who makes the promises, it is he that must keep them. It's not up to you to keep the promises of God. It's up to you to receive the promises of God. You are to make yourself available so that he can bless you in those promises by being obedient to what he says, but it's up to him to keep it. That's why it's up to him to transform and renew your mind. You submit yourself to the things that he tells you to do, but it's up to him to do the work. The onus, in other words, is on God. He made the promise. You can look at it this way. If I walk up to you after church tonight and I say, you know, I, I promise to give you a million bucks. It's up to me to make good on the promise. Amen? So, you ain't getting it. <laughs> it's up to me to make good. I made the promise. It's not up to you then to go out and make a million bucks and then accredit it to me. It's up to me to make good on the promise. The same is true for God. In an infinitely greater way. What he says, he accomplishes. And and it is true that at the close of his life, uh, Joshua could just say, you know what? In all of these things, when we get to the end of this book, you're going to find one of the most wonderful verses In not one of these things did God fail to deliver. That's the testimony of Joshua at the end of the story. Not one thing. Wouldn't you like to walk that way? Wouldn't you like to live that way? Experiencing all of the goodness of God and in in all of these things. This book is a testimony to that, by the way. As we go through it, you're going to see in the, the first four or five chapters, you're going, to, you're going to see this play out. You're going to see the land given. You're going to see him divide up the, the land. You're going to see him make good on his promises. And so trust God with those promises that he makes. You be obedient to what he tells you to do. That is your part. You see, our human responsibility plays a part in the reception, in how it comes to us, and how quickly it comes to us. But God made the promise. I can put myself outside of the promises of God. If I do not walk in his ways, then the things that he's promised are going to be very tough to come by. But if I walk dead in the middle of his will, 
I live my life according to his plans, purposes, and principles, then I put myself underneath the blessings, underneath that glory spout. Amen? To where God can do those things in my life. Joshua needed, though, to do his part. And this is where your part comes in. Notice what his part is. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and be of good courage. Because God's with you. Put that one on your fridge. Be strong and of good courage. The translation there of the original Hebrew language is to be strengthened in courage. In other words, it shows a picture of increasing strength and courage. It's like I get stronger and stronger and stronger, not weaker and weaker and weaker. And probably every one of you knows a Christian who has gotten weaker and weaker and weaker because they failed to lay hold of the promises of God and be obedient to do their part. And so they experienced weakness. Verse 7 The word of God uh, encourages us uh, in this way. Only be strong and very courageous. It's an interesting concept. In other words, put everything else out of your life. Only be strong and courageous. Courage is defined as fortitude in the face of an enemy. You have fortitude in the face of the enemy. And are you only filled with fortitude in the face of the enemy? And be strong. And we know because our Bible says so in the power of his might. Amen? It's not just talking about your own strength. Because if God was asking you to rely on your own physical strength, we're all dead. We're toast. Amen? My physical strength, especially now. As you get a little older, you, you figure something out. Your brain says you can still do it. Your body says, oh, no. <laughs> Not going to happen. So there's, there's a sense that as we get wiser, we actually get weaker. Amen? Isn't that weird? How come God doesn't give us like a whole dose of wisdom when we're born and then take some of it away as we get older because we don't actually need it much anymore? But instead it works the other way around. He says, be strong and be courageous. Be strong in him. Trusting him. Trusting his promises. And notice how he now puts this all together. That you may observe to do. We're supposed to be what of the word? Doers. Amen. Not just hearers. Why? Because you'll deceive yourself. You get the picture. You see how these things apply? Some people disconnect the Old Testament from the New. And yet the principles are, are the same. And so he's saying in a New Testament sense, do everything the Word of God says. Because at this time there were exactly five books in the Bible. They were the Pentateuch. The five books of Moses. That was it. So do everything that you have in the Word is another way to look at it. Insofar as they knew it at that time, they did not have the completed Old Testament, they surely had none of the new. According to all that the law which Moses my servant commanded you to do, do not turn from it to the right or to the left. 
And notice the promise, that you may prosper. If you want the blessings of God, be obedient to the commands of God. There it is, spelled out for you in Scripture. If you want the blessings of God, if you want to prosper in the things that the Lord has for you, do not turn to the right or to the left. Do everything the Bible commands you to do. That's biblical counseling 101 right there. You can drag that verse out in almost any circumstance, and if someone knows what the Bible says, you can simply say, did you do it? Well, no, I kind of wandered off over here to the right. And I didn't like where that went, so I kind of wandered over here to the left a little bit. Did, did you find God neither? No. Then come back to the middle, not to the right, not to the left, down the middle, do it, and you will prosper in the things of the Lord. It's not a hard concept. And yet when we go to implement it, how many of us make our excuses? Well, that's good for you. You ever heard that one? Well, that's good for you. But you know me, I'm just kind of not sure. Did God say it? Because if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That is my opinion on things as a Christian. That's why we're in so much trouble in our nation right now. Because the church will not stand for the truth of what God says. God is against killing unborn children. He always has been. Matter of fact, he told the Jews to wipe out those who practice the gods of the religion of the gods of the Canaanites, one of whom was Molech. The god of the Canaanites, which they would stoke up the bronze statue of Baal and Molech to flaming hot, and then they would take their infant children and offer them in sacrifice. Not a good thing. It's contrary to God's word. Christians' opinion on abortion should be they're against it. Period. It's easy. It's not hard. You can sit around and justify it all you want, and every single time you try and justify it, all you're saying is God's wrong. You will not be blessed. You can say all day long, well, you know, I just think that if two people love each other, it doesn't matter if they're a man and a man or a woman and a woman. It matters to God. God's the one that defined marriage. And for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and a woman leave her home and the two shall be joined together as one flesh. And then he told them, be fruitful and multiply. Can you do that if you're two women? The answer is no. Can you do that if you're two men? The answer is no, you can't. God's opinion on homosexual marriage is he's against it. So that becomes my opinion. As a Christian, this is our problem in our world. We will not do what God said to do. And because we will not do what God said to do, guess what we're missing in our country? It's in this verse. Prosperity. God does not prosper the disobedient. He never has and never will. He may give providential blessing 
to a group of people simply because there are innocent among them. But if you are in direct disobedience to the commands of the Lord, you can count on not being blessed by God. Satan may pull a few things, pull a few shenanigans. It may look like it's going okay for a time, but what God says, God means. He said it then. He says it to us today. That's why we must be strong. When Scripture speaks, that's our opinion. It's the only one we got. We don't get to have another one. Unless you don't want to have God's blessing. Me? I like God's blessing. Now, saying that, maybe in a year or two, might get me thrown in prison. That's okay. Not saying that that's what I want. But I am telling you, I'd rather be well-pleasing to God than pleasing to men. And unfortunately, a lot of the church isn't like that. We want to be men-pleasers. We want to make sure that everybody knows that we follow this guy or that guy. Follow Jesus. Obey his word. And he goes on to say, for the book of this law shall not depart from your mouth. You get it? You get the inference here? What God said, God meant, shall not depart from your mouth. It is what you should speak. But you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your, look at it again, your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have you ever thought to yourself, you wonder if God's taken his hand off our nation? I think he has. And I'm not trying to prophesy negative things. I'm simply telling you God's word says we are to know his word, meditate on his word, speak his word, follow his word. His word is our opinion if we want to be prosperous and have success. And for generations we did that largely. And now all of a sudden, we're going directly against his commands. We're not kind of, sort of, missing the boat. We're not kind of, sort of, not on track. We're making laws that are in direct defiance to the teaching of God's word. And we're paying the price for it. Eight years of hope and change, and all you've got left is the change. Amen? That's it. You know why? Because we have enacted more godless laws in the last eight years than in the previous 238. That's the truth. A Hebrew word here is translated meditate. It actually means to mutter. It means to speak the word of the Lord consistently. It's like you've got it on your mouth all the time. It's like, man, I can't help but speak forth the word of God. God's commands also uh, encourage us to, to be that people that we ought to be. So in our lives as believers, we want prosperity, we want success. And of course, those aren't measured by the standards of the world. They're measured by God's standards. Amen. But notice what verse 9 says to us. And I believe that the commands of God do encourage us. Have I not commanded you? Verse 9 begins, Be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid, 
Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But that's in the context of doing what God says. Context is everything in your Bible. You can yank any verse you want out of context, and you can pretty much make the Bible say anything you want it to say. But the context here is, Joshua, I've made these promises to you. It's up to me to keep them. Your part is to have my word on your lips. Your part is to recount my word to countless generations. Your part is to not deviate from the right or to the left. Your part is to go down the middle, to listen to what I say, do what I say. And in that context, he gives the promise of verse 9. Then you can be of strong and good courage. Then you can walk not in fear then you are able to not be dismayed. You see, if I'm not doing those other things, I'm going to walk in fear. I'm going to have zero courage. I'm not going to trust God because I'm in open rebellion to what he said. And so God says to us, look, these things are easy for me to do. You walk with me, you go where I tell you to go, you do what I tell you to do, and you will have victory. If you don't, the deal's off. Then you get whatever you get. You get what you can manufacture. The American Standard Version of Luke one thirty seven which says, for with God nothing is impossible, translates it this way, for no word spoken from God shall be devoid of power. A very word that God speaks to us, he says, it's up to me to keep it. But what I speak to you is walk in my ways. What I speak to you is don't go to the right or the left. What I speak to you is you do your part, you can be guaranteed that I'll do mine. But we do have a part. We have human responsibility in our relationship with God. It's not to fabricate his blessings. It's to place ourselves in a place where he will bless us. Because you can place yourself in a place where he will not bless you. Prophet Isaiah made it really clear. Your sins have separated you so that he does not hear your prayers. And so tonight, in the years to come, when Joshua faced the enemy and was tempted to be afraid, he could remember what God promised. Why? Because he did what God said. He had every right to claim the promises of God because he was obedient to God. The disobedient child of God has no right to claim the promises of God. Now, God may be good to you because God is good. We can only claim what we have obeyed. And so, like Moses before him, Samuel, David after him, 
Joshua was given this divine mandate to serve the Lord, and that mandate carried with it the promise of God's blessing. Did you serve me with your whole heart? And I promise that I'll take care of you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that promise. And Lord, help us to walk in obedience. Oh, you'll save us. You'll even let us be disobedient. You're that good that you, you don't force us to be righteous. But Lord, we experience your best when we are walking with you and talking with you and praising you and blessing you and doing what you said and not wandering from the right or wandering over to the left. Lord, when we're walking dead center uh, in your will, that's when we know that we, are, we have put ourselves in the place where your blessings can flow to us. And so, Lord, help us to be unafraid. Help us to be unashamed of the gospel. Lord, help us to not be dismayed. And as we do that, Lord, help us to walk with you in every aspect of life. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for this time tonight. Pray that you would bless us as your people. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.